It's important to know. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 32, 32 32-2, and 32-3 Chapter 42, 43, and 44 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale The Ocean and the First Island The Second Island And The Third Island The number three is an interesting number. It appears in many places for many reasons. If I'm not mistaken in my research, and by that I mean a simple search on Bing, is correct, the number three appears in the Bible 523 times. In the Quran, 20 times. It's the number of bears Goldilocks meets, the number of pigs being tormented by a wolf and the number of nipples Chandler Bing has on that F.R.I.E.N.D.S show. I never quite figured out what that was an acronym for. If you threw down three pieces of rice, or three of anything, I suppose, it would naturally form a triangle. And you know what they say about triangles? Every triangle is a love triangle, when you love triangles. That whole triangle bit there, I actually heard on a comedy special from James Acaster. I'd hate to take credit for something clever. Dorothy travels the wonderful world of Oz with three friends, a tin woodman, a scarecrow, and a cowardly lion. I guess four, if you count Toto, but... Does Toto really count for anything? In the case of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, in the case of this week's chapters as well as next week's, there are three islands, each with its own distinct obstacle. These three islands are followed by three doors, each of which have a distinct story hidden behind it. In chapter 42 the ocean and the first island, we find Dorothy staring off into the distance. For a moment, she's relieved and happy to have the quadlings behind her. That relief quickly dissipates when faced with the reality, or at least the thought, that maybe Joseph lied and just sent her to her death. Dorothy is showing signs of cracking here. We've seen her downtrodden before, but not quite like this. The world has beaten her down, to the point that she's just... exhausted. The lion undergoes a slight transformation here as well. He's no longer the gray lion, but instead the red lion, 
as he is unable to cleanse himself of the Quadling's blood. We've seen a lot of transformations of the Oz characters throughout the story. The Woodman undergoes the initial change from human to metal, and from that to his self-imposed transformation into killing machine, and again after his run-in with the man-wolves. Mister gets a new suit from Emerald, complete with a removable suit jacket and Panama hat. The Panama hat, by the way, if I didn't mention it before, actually comes from an episode of the Twit podcast that I listened to around the time of the original writing of that chapter. I can't remember why they were talking about Panama hats, but I remember having to look it up to see what they were, and I really liked them. Of course, he undergoes even more changes in these later chapters, as he is kind of constantly in a state of disrepair. The wizard even had several iterations of himself. And Lothor did as well in the beginning. The lion, however, has seen less changes. He went from lion-colored to gray and now to red. This change has some significance, as he has become more comfortable with violence, the true color of his animalistic nature has been revealed. Lions are the kings. Dorothy accidentally reveals the way across the ocean when she throws her shoes into the water, revealing an invisible bridge. She goes all Indiana Jones and just starts throwing sand all over the place to figure out where the bridge actually starts. Imagine having to cross an ocean on blind faith that your feet will land on a solid surface. Remember, she couldn't even see the first island on the horizon. Maybe I should have gone into a little more detail on this portion of the adventure, but I'm happy with what I wrote. I really just wanted to get her to the next island. So I created a, you know, whatever device. I'm going to be completely honest with you, as if I've ever been anything but. Sometimes, when I write, I have no idea where I'm going. This is my youthful video game roots showing here. Imagine playing something like Zelda or Eco, or Shadow of the Colossus. That last reference will make sense in a minute. You get into a new area, and you're not quite sure how you're going to get out, or what's going to happen. You just know there's a puzzle to be solved. Sometimes it's as simple as moving a box, or burning down a spider web that's hiding a tunnel, finding a key to open a door, or maybe... A giant boss fight. That's kind of how I approach writing at times. Sure, there are times when I know exactly what I'm going to do. The Quadling Ruins, for example, were planned out before I even started writing. I knew there was going to be a battle on top. Nothing around it, nothing inside of it. All on top. But, for the ocean and the first island... I entered into it unaware of what I was doing. It's kind of like I get to read the book for the first time. Just like you, my dear reader. Zzz. Or I guess in this case, my 
Dear listener, I wrote Dorothy on the beach at the ocean, and I was stuck. I wanted to make it a challenge to cross, so I took away the bridge. I didn't want a boat, so I left one out. And still, something needed to happen, and so I landed on Invisible Bridge. Same goes for the first island. I knew I wanted a large island, but that was really about it. I needed an obstacle, or at least some kind of a landmark. So I ended up with a statue of a king. The king's posture was largely modeled after the posture of the rulers of various kingdoms in the world of the Elder Scrolls, most notably Skyrim. Somewhat unenthused and nonplussed, one hand lazily resting on a scepter, while the other one is resting on the head of a Kaleida. I also offer up a fun description of the Kaleida as a tiger bear. I was stuck for days on this chapter, completely unsure of how I was going to finish it. Eventually, I settled on an army of undead Romanesque soldiers, at which point I was unsure of how Dorothy was actually going to get past them. I wasn't originally planning on the Quadlings ever returning after the previous chapter. But here we are. I'm not sure if this is a common occurrence for other writers. I don't really know any other writers outside of Facebook groups. And honestly, most of those conversations have less to do with the writing process and more to do with what success means. How do I get published? What's the best way to promote a book? Is this type of book easier to write than that type of book? What's a good length for my post-apocalyptic vampire romance novel that takes place on Saturn in the year blah 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 blah? <sighs> but this is how I write on occasion. I probably could have tightened the story up here a bit more. I think I probably spend too much time explaining that the army moves when Dorothy moves. I think I get a little redundant. Again, a good editor probably would have went a long way. But I have no real money to speak of. And if I wanted to scrape up the funds to pay for such a privilege, I would never get this podcast off the ground. And honestly, I think at some point it comes down to confidence in my ability to tell a story. And this is one area in which I feel somewhat confident. I mean, you're listening to me right now, right? So I must be doing... adequately. Anyway, the lion stays behind for most of this chapter. Of course, the army isn't going to let Dorothy pass, but lo and behold... There's an army of quadlings coming to the rescue. I intentionally avoided writing a complex battle sequence here. I don't feel like I'm all that great at battle sequences and fight sequences. So instead, I threw Mr. on Dorothy, much the same way Bomb did when the bees showed up in the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And I opted to detail some of the sounds. After the battle is over and the desert is littered with dead bodies and severed limbs, 
the lion finally musters up the courage to move forward. This, of course, wakes up the Kaleida, and we get the epic boss battle we've been waiting for. I imagine this like a boss battle from the aforementioned Shadow of the Colossus. If you're not a gamer, or you are a gamer, but haven't played this game from 16 years ago, that's cool. I'll just go ahead and briefly explain it to you for context. It's the story of a young man who sets out to kill giant beasts in the hopes of resurrecting a young woman. Each colossus is a statuesque titan with a weak spot somewhere on their bodies. The young man must scale each one like a mountain to defeat it. If you've never seen it in action, it's truly breathtaking. Not only as a game, but as a true work of art. I highly recommend checking it out on YouTube, at the very least. Anyway, that's how I imagine the Quadlings dealing with the Kaleida. Scaling it and bringing it down. I love the moment when the last Quadling climbs out of the Kaleida's mouth, only to rush into battle against the king, which promptly crushes him. The king proves to be benevolent and carries them to the second island. After he sets them down, he disappears back into the ocean as he returns to the first island, with waves crashing all around him. I 100% envision this as a Godzilla-type moment. A good Godzilla moment. Not like that boring, un-Godzilla movie from Gareth Edwards. Defend it all you want, but a two-hour movie about giant monsters should have more than 20 or 30 minutes of actual monster screen time. Just saying. The second island is a different type of obstacle. Less violent, less physical, and more psychological. A mysterious island. I totally imagine the beach from Lost here. That proves difficult to traverse. Dorothy is overtaken by a strange sense of amnesia or brain fog. She finds it difficult to remember who Mr. and the Lion are. She even finds it difficult to remember who she is at times. There's a small boat on the island, but Dorothy suggests leaving it on the beach in favor of clearing a path first. Every time they cross the island, they find themselves right back where they began. Eventually, they split up, and Dorothy is approached by the physical manifestation of her anxiety. She basically has a mental break here. The manifestation, both everything she wants to be, and nothing she wants to be. She's a strong presence that accentuates her flaws and insecurities. She tells her no one loves her. No one misses her. And she would do well to simply kill herself. I'm extremely proud of my voice work in this chapter. I think this is maybe not the best I have to offer, but the best I've done so far. This is perhaps the most human we've seen Dorothy up to this point. She makes it out of the jungle, only to return to the same beach as before. Mr. and the lion are standing there by the boat. Her mental state continues to deteriorate the longer she's on the island, to the point that she decides to just give up. 
Mister becomes the voice of reason in this chapter. We've seen his loyalty on display before. We've seen his love for his friend on display before. But this moment marks something special. He wants her to be happy. He wants her to persist. He wants Dorothy to succeed. In the boat and ready to go back, Dorothy notices the tree line on the beach is glowing gold. I'm assuming you all know what that means. I very deliberately chose not to spell it out in the book because I believe anyone reading or listening is smart enough to figure out what's going on. Obviously, it means she's facing Emerald. The golden glow only highlights the path to the green city, meaning she's effectively going the right way by going away from the golden light. The third island is kind of bland. Very similar situation as the Greys, in that Glinda's palace is like the living forest, off in the distance, but always out of reach, until it's not. The feeling of this island is a little bit different. It's warm and welcoming. Dorothy finds a strange, loving comfort here. In the bomb verse, Glinda's palace is guarded. In the Tyler verse, there are no guards. I like the idea that Glinda lives out here in isolation. Like, maybe she just lives in constant fear of a dangerous pandemic and just said, you know what? Think I'm good out here. This, of course, is the point that Dorothy pulls out her Samsung Z Flip and calls Glinda over Zoom to discuss her plight. Obviously, I'm kidding. When I wrote this, COVID wasn't a thing. Ebola, on the other hand. But still, that's not why she's out here. Dorothy and company make it into the castle and are presented with three doors. A blue door, a red door, and an orange door. The colors of these doors have significance, but I will get into that in the next Aftermath episode. The Three Doors is a reference to one of my all-time favorite songs from one of my all-time favorite albums by one of my all-time favorite bands, Vast. The semi-self-titled album Visual Audio Sensory Theater is one that inspires me every time I hear it. And the track Three Doors is one that I never tire of. I highly recommend checking it out. This week ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, but rest assured, it's going to pay off when I return. If I missed something, or failed to address something you feel I should have, by all means, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like what I make. That's totally cool. But you can still be nice about it. I know you can. Because I believe in you. It's Dark Dorothy G on Twitter, Dark Days of Dorothy Gale at Outlook.com, The Ordinary Sun. That's S U N on Instagram. And if you're interested, there's even a Facebook page, although it rarely gets updated. And if you don't believe me when I say rarely, well, just believe me. It's pretty rare. I also have an official 
Dark Days of Dorothy Gale website. That's ddofdg.com. At the moment, it's really just some artwork and contact information, summary of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, you know, stuff like that. At some point, though, it will have links to t-shirts and stickers and all that kind of fun stuff, but for now, it's pretty basic. You can, however, listen to every episode straight from the site. No extra download, no login, no account, no nothing. Just some good listening ears. Also, it looks way better on mobile than on desktop. That just seems to be the way things are these days. Again, that's ddofdg.com. If you tune in exclusively for the wonderful Wizard of Oz chapters, I have some bad news. It isn't going to return. Next week. It will return, just not next week. The next three chapters of Dark Days have no wonderful equivalent. So come back soon for chapters 45, 46, and 47. The Red Door, the Blue Door, and the Orange Door. Of course, the usual Aftermath episode will follow. Thanks for listening. I love you all.